Jacob, I have a question for you. <laughs> this is crazy times, and they ask for crazy answer questions. Who need crazy answers? Hey, how is the high stakes testing season going for you and your kids? About as good as my son stomping up the stairs right now, just repeatedly, <laughs> just thunk, thunk, thunk. Oh man, I don't know. Can I? Oh my, he's still just running. I don't know if that's coming through the mic or not, but I'm leaving all of that in. They need to re. I, I, I podcast in this office, like the stairs literally. Like I'm the, I've, a, I've seen you my, sh- my secret hole in my wall where it's like under the stairs. So it's literally right there. But in any case, that's exactly what standardized testing is. It's in a hole in the wall, but it's always there and you can always hear it thumping around regardless of what time of year it is. But in this time, I was just talking to other teachers about like what seasons we hate the most. And I was like spring. And they were like, well, why do you hate spring so much? It's where everything grows back and it's nice. It's not too hot here in Texas. Still a little rainy, still kind of cool. So you get kind of the best of both worlds. I was like testing. Testing season is literally the worst season. Now, it doesn't mean... There's not good stuff happening, but there's so much that we have to deal with. And I got to tell you, for people that don't know, being at a campus that's on what's called a TIP, which I believe stands for Texas Improvement Plan, uh, is what happens when you do not hit certain percentages several years in a row on standardized testing. And my campus is like that for math and reading. So oh, I didn't realize it was for both. Uh-huh. Okay. And we are, well, this is our year before we can basically, before that you have to that do something. Like there's several options. Like you can disband the school, which usually doesn't happen. That's like for extreme cases. You can, the TEA can come in, which is also kind of extreme. You can restructure, AKA get new leadership on campus. Um, and it's really interesting because being on that, we're so close to being off it and it's dedicated and that is dedicated to the hard work and we'll probably get into some of this in, uh, the podcast, but the, the hard work of the team that we've built over the last two years, putting in the work, making sure everyone is, you know, within some type of workshop format so kids can read and write and we're right there based on all of our testing that we've done, even more testing. We are on the path to getting out of quote unquote standardized testing hell. Um, but we got to stay focused. And that is, I don't know, that's my answer to that <laughs> until we go further. <laughs> well, with that, welcome to Craft and Draft, where we're here for you. This is Pam Ochoa. That's Jacob Chastain. And I think today we are kind of in this testing world I I talked to one of my teachers today and I said what do you think our topic should be and she goes all I can think about is testing so I think maybe we might need to address that issue so yes you're the testing is on all of our minds so I don't know I imagine our campuses handle testing a little differently than one another's but I'd be interested I have like so much to say on this so we're going to pitch it to you first that way I just don't stop and or start and never stop so what what is testing culture like in your neck of the woods just down the street from my campus Well I think some people are starting to feel a little bit panicked but you know I it's like I don't know but I think I think everybody's getting a little tense. Uh, The principals get a little tense about this time. 
uh, everybody needs everything right then and there. You know, we're having to fill out all the paperwork and there's different types of tests that we're doing. So, you know, the language learner test that we were grading today and making sure everything, you know, all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. And um, the expectation is that you're going to read that manual no matter what. So we've been, I've been kind of reading the manual and, you know, trying to make sure, I think this is, we decided to do online testing for writing and I've never seen the online testing for writing. So uh, I think, I don't know. I mean, some are worried and I guess I'm not as worried. I'm just not. I mean, it's going to be what it's going to be at this point in time. I don't think anything I can do is going to make a huge difference at this point. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. See, we, so I've been, I mean, I've been thinking about this in more ways, uh, than I've really ever thought about it because I, you know, I've talked about a little bit how, you know, my aspirations are, you know, to eventually, you know, have a school of my own, whether I make one or just go through the district or another district to be a principal and stuff. And I've like vowed to myself because I'm a, I'm a consumer. I'm a global thinker, which means basically I consume tons of information and then I decide what my, like what I know, right? So a topic might be, you know, I don't know let's cameras, right? I, I might. So what I'll do is I'll read everything I can about cameras and I will watch videos on cameras and I don't take notes, but I just consume and consume and consume and consume. And then eventually I just have all the knowledge I need, like readily, like in my brain. That's how I learn. That's why I don't take notes. Um, it's, and it bothers people to a degree. Like I will take notes in certain meetings if I know someone's going to judge me for it. Um, so what I do is like, I just kind of play it off for people, but in general, I don't learn with, uh, I don't learn in, in, in note taking ways and, and being meticulous. I just consume it all and go. So what I've been trying to do about the standardized testing situation is I've been trying to understand it. I've been working with some other educators to really like dive into like where did accountability come from and where did standards come from and okay, so when did testing come? Okay, so when did punishments for not having uh, certain testing done come from? And it sent me down all these rabbit holes and I ended up reading a book called The Great – no, The Death and Life of the Great American School System, which is from Diane Ravitch, which some people who are familiar with her work – she was in the Bush administration during No Child Left Behind. So she was a part of the standards movement and moving into accountability. Uh, and then she – so she was like a big proponent of uh, charter schools and all that and and standards and high-stakes testing. And then eventually what happened was is she changed that worldview like tw- uh, through kind of up into the Obama administration and then afterwards – and but she details throughout this whole book this process of her thinking of why she thought all of that was the answer. But by the time her and other colleagues kind of were realizing that this really wasn't the quote unquote solution to schools, uh, she ended up going basically, she details her thought process from each to each, but everything else 
it was already law, right? So she ended up, it's a really fascinating look and it gave me a lot of details. Like there's stuff that I knew, like Jeb Bush, for instance, is like the father of the A through F system that started in Florida. Yeah. And that's wild because a lot of people didn't even really pay attention to Jeb until he ran for president. But like he has such a fundamental piece in the educational school system today, which is really fascinating. You know, names like Chris Christie came up, George Bush, Bill Clinton, Reagan, like it was all of this stuff that kind of uh, combined both on the left and right. And it kind of gave me a different perspective on standardized testing. And then to add to this, I'm now reading a book called Teacher Wars, which is about teaching starting in like the 1800s. Like the book picks up in like 1804 and talks about how like the original teachers were uh, men that, you know, because they were seen as the intellectuals and they would just stand and, you know, they didn't have textbooks. So they all read the Bible and they just kind of recited the Bible to 80 kids and taught them how to read and write that way. And then eventually women start like young girls, basically, they're like 14, 15, 18, started, uh, they started basically having like this missionary work that was also teaching. And so teaching started slowly becoming this feminine way of just kind of being a mom outside the home to, to teach kids manners and teach them the, you know, the Bible and all this other stuff. And then when men realized they were like, Oh, cause most men were still teachers. And then eventually it transitioned because women didn't make as much as men. So they saw this as a cheap solution to educate the masses. So they encouraged the feminization of teaching so they ended up paying people less, but like following that, right. That whole train of thought, it's been like this whirlwind of just understanding the profession in so many different ways. And I got to tell you, I don't know how to fix it. (laughs) Maybe you should hire more women. Well, and that's the interesting part of a lot of that is like Mm -hmm. that was – and then obviously that changes and then there's a whole race piece because, you know, once the – around the time of the Civil War, this is when like there was like some enough public schools kind of in certain pockets. So you have a lot of these emancipated people and they are in need of education. And so you have a lot of activists that get up and, you know, the feminist and – uh, the black advocates for uh, schooling and stuff, they kind of join forces and they also battle because even though you would think that naturally just in today's mind that women and, and uh, you know, the, the segregated black and African-American people in America at the time, like they might join forces just naturally because they were both being repressed. That wasn't always the case because it was still a woman versus man issue in some instances. And so, but all of that informed the school system because even back then they were talking Mm -hmm. about, okay, how do you pay teachers? Where do you do this? Where do you do that? And long, you know, skip ahead, you know, two centuries or whatever, we're here where teachers are overly stressed and students are overly stressed about tests that some companies made. Like the trajectory is fascinating. In your findings, did they start doing the standardized testing in Reagan's time? Sort of. It wasn't, the testing existed, but as far as I know, there might be someone listening that knows more than me, but from what I, you know, gather and have just read from all of that. It was, it kind of was Reagan. They kind of had the push for standards back then. Um, and then as some educational reform, but it was always kind of seen as a state's issue because, uh, public education is not 
it's not designated to the federal government, right? It's not even in the Constitution, a right to education. Even though we say that, it's not in the Constitution. So uh, the the federal government being involved was actually very... I think that actually started... I think it started in Carter's time. I think that was when they first created the educational, I don't know, organization up at the... Department of Education? Yeah, Department of Education. It's possible. I know it's definitely kind of in that area. They, What Mm -hmm. ended up happening, though, was um, the article or the publishing of research, A Nation at Risk, got published. I know. That was during Bush. Yes. The first Bush. Mm-hmm. Yes. So f- around that time, this gets published, and that spearheads this uh, need for change. And this is where the high accountability and high stakes and the the businessification of education starts. It doesn't begin there, but the process of thinking that way. It's like, okay, well, this kind of socialist idea, you know, there's really no oversight. There's no standard of anything. You just kind of have a bunch of pockets that are deciding what they want to do. Well, you know, and then they have tenure and they're pretty protected and they have somewhat good salaries. So they, they, they're like, well, maybe if we take that away, maybe if people get fired based on poor performance and, you know, let's start doing this and let's start doing this, let's set a standard. Um, and then, so that gave, the, the push for that, but all based on this finding of a nation at risk, which since then has been criticized quite a bit because of just the nature of standardized tests and what they actually tell us. When my first few years in, they did merit pay. They called it career ladder. And I finally, and you had to be in at least a minimum of three years. And I finally reached career ladder time. You know, in other words, this next year I would have gotten it. I got all the scores I needed. Everything was looking great, and then they dropped it. So I never received career letter, uh, ladder, so I never got merit pay. But I did qualify, and then they ended it. So they did do some of that. They experimented with it. I don't know. I guess it just was too costly. But everything's so subjective, like even the evaluations and things like that, no matter what. They try to make it not subjective, but it just – so I think trying to – test students from all different classrooms. I mean, that I think that forces a push for everybody to be identical, but not every child is identical. Cause so how can you teach every child exactly the same, you know, and then test them at one base? I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's kind of difficult, but I think it's that push for making everything identical is kind of stressful, or at least it's stressful to me, which I've, you and I've talked about that off the, off the air. How I I have a hard time if I, I I like my autonomy, so a little bit. So I get a little nervous when people start telling me they're going to script my lesson. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa! You don't know my kids. How can you script my lesson? Every one of my I'm, students has a different need. I've always said, like, if I ever, if they ever, if our district ever goes to end up scripting, I'll be out. I'm like, I there's plenty of places that do not script. I do not need that in my life. Well, are is your class? I mean, because y'all are under a lot of stress about getting results. So, how do you assure your teachers, or how do you make sure that the results get there? I mean, what are y'all doing to ensure that? Oh Lord! So there's some of this. A, a lot of what we do, I agree with. Some of it, I don't. I think, you know, you're like I said at the top. We're in a unique situation of. 
not being able to, you know, we can't not worry about it because it's, you know, you can go to trainings and you can go, you can read the books from a lot of the people that I idolize and you can read all of these wonderful thinkers in education that talk about the bane of testing and how it doesn't do what it's supposed to. And we even say that, but I think what's, you know, our whole goal with craft and draft from the initial start. And I think what fuels both of us just to be able to survive in real classrooms is we accept the research and we know that these tests are, uh, problematic in a variety of ways. And we know it leads to bad teaching, even for us at times. And, uh, but the system, the way it's designed right now is something that we can't hide from. So, uh, you know, my school, for instance, like people could lose their jobs if we don't pull up scores like this year. And I have a test in two weeks and then I have another one in four weeks that if we don't do well, people will lose their jobs. Right. And a lot of people, I think that we don't address that, that that's a reality enough because it's, because it's nice to be able to like, Oh, you know, just let kids read and write whatever they want and we'll confer and we'll publish and we'll do amazing things and we'll do really cool activities at the end of the day. You know, if you are at a school that doesn't just naturally do well, or if you're at a school that's floundering for some reason, not because of bad things, but for things out of your control, because the system is designed to fail you in a lot of ways, like my campus is, you know, you have to make a change. And so that, that becomes our charge, right? It's how do you balance authentic learning with non-authentic test taking? (laughs) Right. Um, And for us, we're doing a variety of things. So the one thing that we started at the beginning of the year and that I led as the DC and luckily I have a principal that supports me is pure workshop conversations for the first several weeks because we had new teachers. We had teachers that were kind of, you know, they had done a little bit of workshop, but they still weren't at the, they weren't at that level yet. They kind of have elements of workshop here and there, but it wasn't workshop teaching. And I spent Several weeks, you know, we read articles and we listened to Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher talk on their videos that they offer for 180 days. And uh, we read research, you know, presented for through Abydos on the acts of writing and all of that and kind of combined it into PD to where it's like, okay, so what are our beliefs as reading and writing teachers? And we set up our belief structure, which is something Reggie Routman talks about. And we had a contract essentially of this is what we believe. We even did that at our old school a little bit. Right, we did. Mm -hmm. And I made a big one and the principal was mean to me about how big the list was. (laughs) Because it was like this document that just covered the wall. But you know what? I, I like that idea. But the, but so we did all of that. And then what this did though, it, it gave us a foundation to be like, okay, so if this is what the research says works, if authentic writing, writing for purpose, doing all that, if you can learn that way, if you can learn through reading and and modeling and read alouds and all of that, then we need to double down on this and cut out the other stuff. So what we did is we basically highlighted this model of you start wide in your unit to where you pull in great stuff and everything's authentic. And then as you get closer to whatever test that you need to take, whether it's a unit test or a state test, you start throwing in 
some debrief questions that might be more test-like, right? Those might not exist mm-hmm. at the very beginning, or maybe they do if you want to pre-test. As it got closer, more and more and more, before you know it, test comes, you've already reviewed some of these things and cycled back if they missed, because part of the problem isn't kids. A lot of people go, well, I'm teaching authentically, but my kids are failing the test. And this isn't like, it's not a workshop fixes test score situation. It's not a magic bullet for that because they're fundamentally different. However, with focus, you can take workshop and start showing kids, okay, so we talked about theme in this way and we took notes like this. Okay, so when we look at a multiple choice answer, which one best reflects our thinking? And having them, making them make the connections, because it's not like they don't exist. They are different, but they're not entirely different planets. So making that, and I think, so doing that over and over again, we've seen success along with, we would pre-test kids, teach to what they did not so well on, and then test them. And we've been seeing gains all year. Now we're doing something now that we're closer to the star test, but did any of that sound out of whack. Do you feel like your workshop is kind of wide and then narrows towards test or how do you work in, how do you work in the, the test like procedures and discussions with the workshop that you have going on? I let the students know, like if we're doing a revision activity, for example, like ratiocination, then I'll say, well, this skill that we just ratiocinated for, like we just ratiocinated for sentence variety where we needed, we were looking for, uh, compound complex sentences, things like that, then I might show them an actual test question and say, this is how it's tested. So I might do that throughout the year. I don't do it like every time I debrief, but I might do it, but I get close as I get closer to the test, we do more of that. Uh, we also in our we're doing the attendance warm-ups. So sometimes my attendance warm-up might be like a little star practice. But I don't do, we don't make it that way all the time. So we just kind of put those in and then talk about them periodically. So that's one of the things that we do. I like what you're saying. How does your, so this is your thinking about this. And then you look at the multiple choice and uh, how does your thinking line up with that? I mean, I kind of do that, but I don't think I, I put it in those words, uh, how you're doing that. Um, and I've, I've done that too with, uh, just straight up, like, let's say we were doing a test review, which I don't actually do test reviews all that much, but mm-hmm. um, at times I will. And what we've done is I'll give them the test review. Let's say it's a test review that has six questions on it. I'll do the exact same review questions, let them free write their answers, and then hand them multiple choice for them right. to answer after that. And it works pretty well after I've kind of shown them the process. But, like, constantly I'm like forcing them to address their metacognition before they circle an answer. Right. And I, you know, I know that when we were uh, coaches, I'm sure you might still do that, but that uh, plan, do, study, act that we're supposed to do. uh, I, once I get at least three data points, I try for four, but I talk to the kids about their data and then I, and I pull like three things that they're, they need to improve. And I will talk to them about that and I will show them those questions. And then I'll have them go back into their books that they're reading and find examples of those types of issues. I have them go back and find that stuff in their writing or they add it to their writing. So I do some things like that where uh, I kind of try to blend this test prep, if you will, with what we're already doing and just trying to let them know that. But then 
one of the things that uh, I, I will tell you that there was a particular year when my my husband was very sick, and um, so I missed like twenty eight days of school that year. Okay, and that was the one year that I did not. I, I fell. 28 days was hard to keep up with an, a craft and draft book, right? A journal system. We didn't have craft and draft at the time. We've developed that. But, I mean, I had a journal system. And the journal system really does help because that year that I had, I kind of just fell out of the journal system because it was too hard to explain it to the substitute. I missed, like, I mean, he was just very sick that year. And, um, gosh, you know, me not being there not having a journal system, those were the lowest that my scores had been. They were like in the 80s, but they, it was still, I mean, they were good in some eyes, but they were bad in the way that I typically do. So one of the things that I do is when we keep that journal, I use that journal on that left side. That's where sometimes we'll get, you know how you print articles? When we get closer to the test times, we print out questions and put them in there to show the kids what they're going to be like, what you learned here, this is how it's going to be tested here. And then show, and then we have a dialogue on how that uh, looks and how it works. But we do that closer to that. And then also uh, doing the journal writing or the draft book, um, they're just used to writing a lot. So one thing I don't have to worry about is writing too much. Most of my students, including my non-English speaking students, it might not all make sense, but by golly, they write a lot. And so when I ask them to write a page for like a practice prompt, so when we get closer, I make sure like for writing, I make sure they understand how to read a prompt and what they're looking for. So we talk about dividing the prompt into what they're asking, what the topic is, and what message do you need to have. And so I work with them a lot on on uh, topic sentences or controlling ideas. So we practice a lot with that when we get closer. But at the beginning, they're not doing all of that. We're just talking about uh, writing. And then, like you said, so I guess I do get a little bit more narrow. I never thought about it, but I guess we start out wide, we get narrow, and then we go back wide. That's probably what we do. See, and I only came up with like thinking of it like that when I started having to articulate it for other teachers, right? Because it was – because it is – I mean, I don't think there's a perfect balance. I think – the fact that we even have to shows how bad the the not star for people that aren't in Texas, but for the just for how bad standardized testing is, um, is that you can't have authentic stuff. You know what's wild though? So I don't. I follow a lot of educators, and I try not to follow many that just uh, agree with me. Like I genuinely want. In my circle, you know, people that I disagree with, maybe not like on everything, but people that challenge my thinking. And I found like just groups of educators like on Twitter and stuff like talking about how much they love standardized testing and how like there was a principal on there saying, you know, why wouldn't you want to know where you are at? And, you know, uh, the without this, you know, education would flounder and we'd be even worse off. It was just fascinating to read because I... Like on on its surface, you're like, sure, of course you want to know where kids at, but I feel like answers like that disregard the fact that these tests, they're 
in what world do you know where kids are at by randomly asking them questions that no one gets to prep for in a, in a way like teaching is, Hey, I want my kids here. Okay. I'm going to teach them. And now I'm going to assess if they're there. Yes, they are. The, a random test given by some corporation (laughs) based on some broad standards isn't, it's just not good assessment. And that is the reality that we have because we're doing great teaching, but does great teaching always lead to higher test scores? In my experience, not always. Some of them have adopted the Common Core, but here in Texas, we did not adopt the Common Core. And we have a a committee and a group of teachers that write our standards. But then we turn around. So we we have our, our own people write the standards, right? Or at least they participate in that. But then do they participate in creating the test? No, I it's a it's a company. So. It's it's Pearson right now because they just signed right. a three hundred million dollar contract with Texas. Which means we're gonna be testing. <laughs> They're gonna spend that kind of money on it. We're gonna be testing. I know it's once going away. Once they said that happened, because that happened uh-huh. fairly recently, I was like, Oh, it's over. I was like, We're definitely taking that test. Well, I, you know, actually they're probably gonna increase some things about the test, you know. Um, I think I'm understanding that we're going to be writing every year. I'm not sure. So it'd be kind of interesting how this, that new budget is going to change. You know, I do know that, that from my experience over the years, the good part about having a test, it keeps you kind of on your toes. You know what I mean? You're, you're at least going to ensure that the bare minimum is going to be taught. Cause really, truly a, a standardized test is the bare minimum as far as I'm concerned. And so for me, what what I'm interested in is, you know, are we able to stretch the kids beyond that? So like when I teach my honors classes, I, I think they should all be able to pass and they should all be able to exceed because really that's the bare minimum. So I don't know. I just, I think there's, as far as like, having standardized tests, I don't completely disagree. I'm just like you. It's a random company from another, you know, where did they get, we're not making our own test. It's just a company who's, I mean, it's about the money. Well, even then I'm like, okay, so let's say for argument, we accept that we should do some type of just statewide or even nationwide testing just to see the learning that's happening according to these specific measures. Cool. Okay. Then take away the punishment. It's, I think cause the, the, the okay. standardized piece isn't, you know, it is what it is. It's, you know, if you do research into standardized testing, you know, it's meant to get a, a, a baseline. There's a reason it's a bell curve. There's always going to be a bell curve, which means there's always going to be losers, which means you can't have educational reform based on it because it's designed for people to fail a portion of them, right? It, right. It, it's it's literally the the name of the game. So that isn't a system that can, that generates data like that. I feel like is unfairly used if it's being used for punishment, um, which it has been, and that that's a remnant of. That's a remnant of the businessification of, of education, which is kind of paused. You know, the, you can still do charters and private, you know, the charters are just privately owned public schools for the most part. And, you know, obviously you have your religious schools and whatnot. But the the this business idea of, oh, you get evaluated and you, 
you, you go through those processes and they can shut you down. Oh, we'll just put a new manager in there. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about school culture. We'll just replace your principal every few years. Um, that is, I, it's, it, I think it's changing. And I think a lot of districts are guiding the way to make that not a, a full reality, but there, it's still there. And schools get punished for these really strange reasons. Like it's wild. Like you don't get, uh, I don't know. So when it comes to that, it's just the the system itself. I, I don't think really we've done a good job at educating politicians as to why you can't use that type of data to be punished. But I, then again, there's people who disagree with me, so I don't even know if I'm fully right on it. Hmm. Well, I, and the other thing is what I've learned or what I've, I thought I've learned anyway, and that is on the other end, you, you take the test, right? And then they go through and they look at it and then they move the scale score and you'll find that the scale score a passing will lower during a politically charged year it goes up when it's a non-politically charged year. <laughs> I don't know if I'm right about that, but that'd be interesting to go look because if they're manipulating after the test is taken to see to say, oh yeah, all of our kids in Texas pass because, you know, but then did they look and see what the actual scale score? Are they passing at, you know, what rate are they passing? you know, what part of the bell curve are they on in order to pass, you know, that kind of thing. So I think you're right. And then from there, it's just not, I just don't think it's a complete fair system. Uh, I feel like sometimes you're teaching blindly a little bit. So I think, I guess that's why we have to do standardized teaching and instruction. So you, you definitely have to have a set of standards. And if you don't, you have to at least create some objectives. So you'll know what you want your students to learn. And then if you're doing that all year long, you really shouldn't have too much difficulty uh, for the test, uh, theoretically, right? If you're test, if you're teaching to the standard or to your objective. Even then, I, I think, you know, there's good research that shows, you know, kids that read more do better. And I think any teacher who's been in the classroom for a period of time knows that. Their kid that always has a book probably doing pretty decent. Even if there was no teaching in the room, probably doing pretty well on the test because, you know, it is – it's a reading test. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the things that hold up my students, for instance, the kids on our campus, you know, it's vocabulary. And it's not just dictionary questions. It's when an answer choice might have – there might be three answer choices with three different words the kid has to look up. Mm-hmm. But because it's embedded in a sentence, they go look up the word. The definition has words in there that they don't know. So now you're 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 playing with teaching them synonyms or going down this rabbit hole. And every, no kid is going to spend the time doing that. A non-reader isn't going to go suffer through this archaic text known as the dictionary right. uh, to get their answer. So it's it's stuff like that that is. That best mitigated by reading volume and writing. If kids are reading a lot and writing a lot and you're conferring a lot, they're going to come across more words. They're going to come across more questions to get clarification on words. In mm-hmm. writing, they're going to experiment with words, especially if you're giving them interesting texts that use interesting words. And then you're, they're more likely to be successful and not be so thrown off on stuff like that. So, uh, you know, the standardized approach... Uh, I think I don't think standards are bad for, at, for any stretch of the imagination, but I think that even 
just focusing on standards, I feel like we miss some of the other parts of craft and draft. (laughs) 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 You know, diving into what we're doing, we're reading and writing. Well, yeah, and a lot of times it keeps it surface. I I just know that through all the years of uh, teaching all the different types of tests, each test throughout the years has, I don't know, um, forced, if you will, uh, or some, I think, worked better with formulas and things like that, little tricks of the trade. And I do think that the test that we have now doesn't completely work as well with those tricks of the trade as it did at the beginning. And so one thing that they do is they change that test about every, what, 10 years or so. But I know at the beginning, it, there was like, when I went to in-service about stuff, it wasn't about writing and reading. It was about what, what little tips can you give your kids to make sure they answer the right kind of question? You know, like pi, like you know, BME, you know, little tricks. Now they still, some of them work, but I think the test people up there have turned into, I mean, have, have figured some of those out. Uh, like in writing, being able to do those little formulas, the little hamburgers and the little, you know, the little, little trick formulas, make sure you write, you know, first, second, make sure you include inclusion. You know, back when I first started, it was all formula driven. And if your kids could do the formula, they would pass the test. Then when STAR came along, they tried their best to change all of that. And so the formula, and then, you know, just listening to some of those in-services about that uh, with Victoria Young, when we went to some of those things, she used to be the, I think she's retired now, but she used to be like the Texas um, guru, if you will, the one up there at the state office. And she would give, I guess, uh, coordinators and superintendents and people like, you know, academic coaches, those types of things, uh, clues about what's expected on the test. And if you made it to her trainings, you would, you would kind of get an idea. And one of the things I remember her saying is we're not going to, we're not looking for formula anymore. And so we want to know that the kids are able to think. Well, when that's what they said, that's when this writing process really does play a good role in helping these kids be able to write. I mean, I think they need to understand the structures of how people write and things like that. So, but I don't think a formula will be the thing that'll work. Yeah, which is, I think, the one of the biggest pieces to this is, you know, when people go, you know, how do you keep authentic stuff? I I don't think there's really an option. You know what I mean? Like there, there's definitely a pressure to talk about just to start doing standardized tests, you know, to print out what we have, the testing materials, you go over it, you question them to death. But I think in English, we have a unique option of merging the two, you know, and still staying authentic because I I tell my teachers this all the time, especially my newer ones. I'm like, trust the process, trust the process. And I promise you it's going to work because how could it not? How could reading more, reading more deeply, reading more varied, not help them on a reading test? How can writing more, writing more deeply and analyzing writing and practicing writing not help you on writing tests and 
reading test, mm-hmm. right? So I, I don't find it too hard these days. I definitely, you know, as we get closer to, you know, standardized tests, for instance, like for like right now, okay, can I tell you my schedule? So I have, we're doing, we've been doing tutorials uh, all this last, like basically like two, six weeks after school. So 30 minutes um, where we get to earn a little extra money to do it, but we do 30 minutes with kids and th- those are based on test scores. Right now, so what we did is we did a mock star test for all of our students, took that data. We have kids now. So we my schedule is usually I have two blocks or I have a block, two blocks back to back. I have what we call leadership, which is basically advisory, and then another block. So three blocks and a conference period and off period. Uh, or not an off period, uh, a conference period and leadership, the advisory. So that advisory now is being used for tutorials and after school is being used for tutorials. So I now teach a block, a block, a tutorial class, another block, and then another tutorial class every day until the end of the year. And so you talk about putting in the work to do authentic teaching and test-taking skills. It's a schedule like that. (laughs) Well, and I think that's the kind of stuff that burns teachers out in the Without long run. a doubt. I told, I said it today. I said, if I didn't love this job more than almost anything on the planet, I would mm-hmm. die. I'd be dead right now. I looked at the, my, I was sitting planning and I go, man, thank God it's Thursday. <laughs> it's <been> two days. <laughs> well, I, you know, those, those little boot camps and stuff like that are, that but to me that's taking I, I don't know. I just wish you didn't have to do that. I think that's that's what I mean by these tests force us into doing like little clever tricks and different things like that. But I looked at one of my teachers today and I said, I don't know if any amount of cramming is gonna change one particular student in a week or two. I mean, if I hadn't been working on this at the beginning of the year. And doing all that, like you said, the reading and the writing and working through that throughout the year, then uh, I think, you know, I don't know. I'm, at, I, we're not, I'm not doing what you're doing, to be honest. So I'm not, we're not having boot camp. Now we're, we are moving into where we're going to do a little bit more during class. And I do have tutorials, but the pressure for me to do what you're doing is not there. Well, and that's the unique thing is you're not at a campus that next year could be do or die, right? Exactly. And this is during COVID too. So we're also dealing with this with online students and kids not being there and not learning for five months and then all of a sudden deciding they need to come back to school. So like, I mean, what a year, right? To do all of this. So we've, it hasn't, I mean, it has not been easy and a lot of things. And I don't know. I'm very thankful that I enjoy what I do because I can see I, I could. And I've, I've said that about that campus before. There's a reason we have such a high turnover rate. Um, and it's because it's a beast of a campus because you're not just dealing with the normal stuff of school. You're dealing with high poverty area, which can cause a lot of stress on just dealing with just like kids issues, like them, their trauma, bringing it into class. Then you're dealing with grade issues. You're dealing with learning gaps. You know, I was, 
one of, I was talking to one of my teachers again, and we were talking about how the difference between us and a more affluent school is our campus. In my class alone, I could be teaching at a third grade level and a 10th grade level, all in the same class of 25, and be expected to meet the needs of all of those kids. And <laughs> that, uh, you know, unless, and here's the thing. Okay. The reason why the the workshop still works in this instance is because I don't see any other way of reaching that dynamic in a classroom other than the workshop format. That's true. And I do have, I like, I ended my day today with the class, kind of what you're talking about. I've got, I mean, they're at all different levels. Um, They all, um, you know, they either can speak English or they can't, most of them are by, you know, they speak two languages, but that's where most of my ESL kids are. And, um, they're just wanting to get out there. It's the last period, last two periods of the day are busy. Um, you know, they're not in any athletics. They're not in any extracurricular. They're probably the ones that go home and do whatever they can to help mom and dad, you know, with the younger siblings, et cetera. So I do have, uh, two hours with some students that are in that boat and they are, they're from, I've got some that are really, really smart to some that are just struggling like crazy and to one or two that don't speak any English. And I mean, well, they speak better now, but yeah. So yeah, I think, I think in a school like ours, um, I'm not quite there. I'm a little more diverse economically at at our campus than you are, but um, yeah, it, it is kind of rough to make sure that they all, can uh, perform on a standard test. And I agree with you. I think the workshop model is about the only way for me to be able to get to all of them. But, you know, you know, we're doing the outsiders, right? Remember I told you we are doing the outsiders. And so today we were talking in our discussion and I said, do you think that the author needed those characters to die? Do they have to die? I mean, could the author have made a different story? So it was really neat to listen to their conversation to me about what the author should and shouldn't do. Point of view came into it. Uh, the fact that she wrote from first person point of view meant that the other, because what the kids wanted to know was what was going on through the other boy that died, what was going on through his mind, but they didn't get that. It just kind of was thrown in there. And so we had a conversation, and then somebody says, yeah, but the point of view was from Pony Boy. So if it was from Pony Boy, how would he know what that other boy was thinking? So we're limited. Well, I guarantee you that conversation right there will help on that standardized test when they have to answer a question, why did the author use something? So I think to me, having those debriefs and, uh, you know, together with your class is very helpful. So anyway, that's something that kind of happened today and it was just neat. But I think just asking them, you know, what, why do you think the author did this? What would you do as an author? And so we kind of just had that conversation. So it's kind of neat. But well, my other two classes were a little bit uh, not there yet. So I'll see how that conversation goes with them. Well, and that's, that's probably a good place to I think that's a good lesson for anyone to take and probably a good cap to this is, you know, every class is different. Every school is different. You know, it's really easy to get on a microphone and say, this is how you do it. Um, and a lot of people do that. And a lot of people make good money doing that. But I think there's nuance to every situation. Right. I think, 
you uh, certain campuses have to do certain things because of the way the rules and the games are set up. But I think what we can't waver on, if I do want to state something like that and put my neck out there, is just the the, the workshop format for English language arts. I think you get so much benefit out of it. And I think the more comfortable you are with it, the more you can merge in some of these other pieces naturally without breaking the workshop too much, without getting away from authenticity. Because the moment you do that, the moment you tell them, okay, well we were doing fun stuff, but you know, now school's here, kids welcome. Like if I did that, my kids would mutiny against me and they do. Anytime we get any like close to that stuff, I can just (laughs) feel the resistance and we try to get through it very fast. And I've trained them, uh, but it is, it's it's a time, man. It is a crazy time. I think just st- stay the course, know the research, and uh, merge with whatever you need to merge with. But I don't know. Do you want to do the outro, Ochoa? Do you want to try it today? Do I want to try it today? Well, bear with me. This is my first time to say thank you so much for joining us for Craft and Draft. We're here for you. Uh, this is Pam. Ochoa and Jacob Chastain and we appreciate you being here. Make sure you, and this is where I have trouble, so go ahead, Jacob, tell us what all we need to do. <laughs> Halfway, you, made, you almost got it. I almost got it. I have to write down the rest. <laughs> got to hit subscribe to the podcast oh, so you get, subscribe. yes, so you get it every single Friday. Come back and join us. We have great conversations to talk for an hour. If you love this episode, leave a review, share it with your team. Oh, and if you have a question, Feel free, because that sometimes will drive it. I mean, we'll answer your questions right here on our podcast. That's right. So do that over at Facebook or DM us wherever you can find us. And know that we are here for you, ladies and gentlemen.